0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in James chapter number four. And like we've been talking about, we are starting a brand new series entitled Bearing the Hatchet. And we're going to be learning over the next several weeks how to live at peace with ourselves and uh, with those around us. And you may have heard the phrase before, Bearing the Hatchet, or maybe you're not familiar with it. Uh, Bearing the hatchet is an American English idiom, let me read this for you, Uh, meaning to make peace. The figurative expression, bearing the hatchet, originated as an American Indian tradition. Hatchets were buried by the chiefs of tribes when they came to a peace agreement. So this phrase, bearing the hatchet, has to do with making peace, with uh, having peace, and this is what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. We're going to talk talking about conflict and conflict management and contention and really how to live at peace. And this morning, I want to begin this series by just kind of laying the foundation with a very foundational uh, question. It's actually a question we find here in the book of James. The book of James was written by, of course, James, the brother of Christ. And in James chapter 4 and verse 1, he asks a very pointed and uh, crucial relational uh, question. And notice what he asks in James chapter 4 and verse 1. He says this, from whence, the word whence means from what place or what source. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you. And here's what he's asking. He's asking, where does fighting come from? Where do wars come from? What's the source of fighting and warfare? And, and really what he's asking is this, why do we fight? Why is it that we engage in fighting? Now, keep your place there in James chapter 4. That's going to be our text for this morning. We're going to be just dissecting these verses. But go to the book of Matthew just real quickly, Matthew chapter 18. And I want to just begin by making sure you understand that when we're talking about contention and when we're talking about conflict, we're not necessarily talking about confrontation. There uh, is a time, there are times in life when people need to be uh, confronted. Either they need to be confronted with sin, they need to be confronted with something that they are doing wrong. You cannot be a parent, you cannot be a father or a mother without having to confront your children from time to time and correct your children, uh, from time to time. Any position of leadership has to be able to confront. You cannot be an employer without, at, from time to time, confronting your employees with maybe things that they're not doing correctly or things that they could do, uh, better. As a pastor, I find myself having to confront people from time to time, uh, uh maybe at work, whatever it is. And even if it's not in a leadership structure, you know, from time to time, uh, you may need to confront a uh, co-worker or a fellow church member or a neighbor or a a friend maybe even in a marital relationship a husband may need to confront his wife with a problem but a wife may also need to confront her husband with a problem. So when we are talking about contention, we're not talking about confrontation. I want to make sure you understand that because I'm not talking about avoiding confrontation because confrontation is needed. In fact, the Bible commands us to confront people when they have, uh, uh, or it, I should, let me rephrase that. It doesn't command us to to confront people, but it tells us that there is an option there to confront people whenever we've been wronged. In fact, Jesus gave us instructions how to do that. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to notice it there in Matthew chapter 18 and notice verse number 15. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. The Bible says this. Jesus said this. Moreover, if thy brothers shall Trespass against thee. So your brother wronged you. They did you wrong. They did something wrong to you. They sinned against you. He says, if thy brother should trespass against thee, he says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him. And here's a key word alone. He says, if somebody has wronged you, Jesus says, you're totally within your right to go and confront that individual alone about this problem, about this trespass. He says, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And by the way, that's the goal. The goal of Matthew 18 is to gain a relationship, to gain a friendship, to gain a brother. Notice verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, here's the next step, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, he says, tell it unto the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and, and public. And I'm not preaching about the Matthew 18 process this morning. Maybe I will at some point. But what I want you to notice is that Jesus actually gives us instructions for how to properly confront someone or how to confront a situation where someone is doing wrong. Go to the book of Proverbs. Just real quickly, if you open up right in the center of the Bible, you more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 25. Now, do me a favor. When you get to Proverbs sort a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to be going back and forth between James and Proverbs quite a bit this morning, so I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. Proverbs chapter 25, but let me show you how Jesus was basically echoing a principle from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25 and verse number 9. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 29, 25 and verse 9, the Bible says this, "...debate thy cause." with thy neighbor himself. So notice, it doesn't say debate your cause on Facebook. It doesn't say debate your cause on social media. It says debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. This is what Jesus taught. He says, go and tell him, uh, Go. he says, tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And again, Jesus in the Bible is teaching that sometimes confrontation has to happen. Sometimes we need to confront people with an issue. He says, go and debate thy cause, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. And discover not a secret to another. He says, you don't need to go around telling everybody about the problems you have with anyone else. He says, if you've got a problem with somebody, then you should go to them and you should confront them. And if you say, well, it's not a big enough deal for me to confront them, then drop it. Then let it go. Then then esteem other better than yourself. But And I'm saying this to, to make sure you understand that when we're talking about this question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? When we're talking about fighting and contention, we're not talking about confrontation because confrontation needs to happen from time to time. You may need to go and debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself alone. You may need to go to someone uh, and and, and deal with a problem that you have. Now, you're there in Proverbs. Go back to James just real quickly. James chapter 4. And let me explain to you what we are talking about. Because in James chapter 4 and verse 1, he says this, from whence come wars and fightings Among you, and I want you to notice. And he says, "Come they not hence of your own lust?" And we're going to deal with that here in a minute. But I want you to notice verse number two. And here is what we're talking about when we're talking about contention. It's described in verse number two, James chapter four, verse two. He says, "Ye lust and have not." And I want you to notice these words. He says, "Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain." He says, "Ye fight and war." See, when we're talking about contention, we're not talking about Confrontation, but sometimes confrontation takes a step too far, where it becomes a conflict. It becomes a contention. It becomes a war. And again, here uh, James is saying, "You kill, you fight in war." And, and I believe that the context here, he's he's using a little bit of hyperbole, and he's not talking. Physically, uh, although it could be applied physically, but he's talking relationally or emotionally. And here's what we're talking about. When we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about what is it? What is it that happens, or where does it come from when we take the step? Where we go further than just confronting someone and saying, hey, son, hey, daughter, or hey, employee, or hey, church member, or hey, fellow co-worker, or hey, mom, or whatever the situation is. There's a problem that needs to be dealt with. There's a confrontation that needs to be had. What happens when we go further than that and we turn that confrontation into contention where now we've engaged in emotional warfare? we're now, we're not trying to resolve a problem, we're trying to hurt a person. Do you understand the difference? We're not trying to gain a brother, we're trying to kill and destroy and devour. You fight and you war. And again, you say we're not physically, but emotionally and relationally. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Now I ask you to keep your place in James, that's our text for this morning. And I ask you to keep your place in Proverbs, we're going to go back to Proverbs. I'm also going to ask you to keep your place in Galatians, because we're going to go back to Galatians as well. Those are the only places I'm going to ask you to keep your place in, but if you can keep your place in those places, that would be great. James, Galatians, Proverbs, uh, Galatians chapter 5, notice verse 15. The concern that I have with preaching a sermon like this is that people will say, Pastor is saying that we can never confront anybody with any problem that we have with them. I am absolutely not saying that at all. What I am saying is this, that sometimes we don't confront, but we engage in contention. Sometimes we attempt to confront, and then we get in our flesh, and we take a step into Warfare into emotional, relational, ye kill, ye fight, and war. Here's how Paul said it in the book of Galatians. Galatians 5, look at verse 15. He says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. He says, sometimes we take the step where we're not trying to resolve anything, we're just trying to hurt him, we're just trying to hurt her, and we bite, and we devour, and we consume one another. And it becomes a war, it becomes a war of words. Go, go to Proverbs, if you kept your place there, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. See, when we're talking about contention, we're talking about engaging in relational and emotional warfare. Meant to hurt. Meant to injure. Meant to use our words as weapons. Not to resolve a problem, but simply just to hurt someone. To kill a relationship. To bite, to devour. To consume one another. Proverbs 18, look at verse 21. Notice what Solomon said. He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. See, your words and your tongue can be a tool that you can use to build someone up, or it can be a weapon that you can use to tear someone down. And he says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So I hope you understand, and I hope I've been clear in our introduction that we're not talking about Confronting people. Because from time to time, responsible mature people need to confront someone else with a problem. What we're talking about, what we're talking about is taking a step further into contention. Well, we're not trying to resolve an issue, but we're simply engaging in emotional warfare. We're uh, simply engaging in fighting and in killing and devouring and using our tongues to bring death and not life. Now go back to James chapter four. James chapter four. And let me just say this. Sometimes sometimes we actually choose to con- to have contention instead of Confrontation. Sometimes we have problems with people and instead of going to them and trying to resolve it and trying to see what happened here and let me see things from your perspective and let me explain things from my perspective and let's see if we can resolve this issue. Instead of trying to, instead of having confrontation, we say, no, well, I'm not going to confront it. I'm just going to contend with them. I'm just going to be contentious with them. I'm just going to make them my enemy. I'm just going to uh, 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 be mean to them and be ugly with them and try to fight with them. And here's the sad thing. Sometimes this happens within marriage sometimes this happens within parental relationships, sometimes this happens at work, and it so often happens at church. So what we're going to do this morning, here's what we're going to do, we're going to answer this question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Not the confrontation, but the contention, the conflict, the emotional warfare, the killing emotionally, and the warring emotionally, and the biting and devouring and consuming of one another. Where does that come from? Here's a question that James answers for us, and we're going to go step by step through this, and we'll look at what he says. He answers this question, why do we fight? Why do we fight? So here, here's why. James chapter 4, let me give you the first point. Why do we fight? We fight simply because we're not getting what we want. Notice, are you there in James chapter 4? Look at verse 1. From whence come wars and fighting is among you. Now, I want you to notice what he says. He begins to answer the question. He says... Come they not hence. The word hence means from here, from this place, from this source. He says, come they not hence, notice the words, even of your lust, now, the word lust, sometimes when we think of the word lust, we think of a physical relationship, but, and, and that's definitely an application in the Bible. But a lot of times in the Bible, the word lust simply means desire. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And then he answers the question. He says, come they not hence even of your own, of your lust? He says, don't they come from your own desires that war on your member? Notice in verse two, he says, ye lust, ye desire. And he said, well, here's the problem. And have not. See, there's something you want, And you don't have. Then he says, ye kill. And again, he brings it up again. He says, and desire. Just saying, reiterating the same thing. You lust. And desire to have, but here's the problem, and cannot obtain. And here's what I want you to say. And here's what James explains. He explains to us that the reason that we fight, where does fighting come from? When we ask the question, "Why do we fight?" or "From whence come wars and fightings among you?" He says we fight because we are not getting what we want from the other person. That the short answer to the question is this: We fight because we're not getting what we want from the other person. And here's the thing. If you have more than one child, you know this to be true, isn't it? Why why does anybody fight? Why do kids fight? Why do three-year-olds fight? Why do two-year-olds fight? Why do five-year-olds fight? Why do our kids fight? They fight why? Because one has something the other one wants. One has a toy the other one wants. One has uh, 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 whatever it is that the other one wants. And when we think of it in those cases, because usually when it's little kids fighting, you know, they're both wrong, right? We're upset with all of them. Uh, we're disappointed with all of them. And when it, when we look at it through the lens of someone being right and someone being wrong, or both being wrong, both being immature, we can say, yes, yes, when it comes to my five-year-old and my seven-year-old, when they fight, they fight because one wants something that the other one has. And again, we're applying to this personally, and emotionally, relationally, and I believe that's how James is applying it. But if you want to apply it to literal warfare, to literal nations taking up arms against each other, meeting on a battlefield and killing each other until, you know, most people die on one side, <laughs> why does that happen? Well, I'll tell you why it happens. Because one nation has something the other nation wants. That's why every war has ever been fought. That's why every battle has ever been fought. So we're applying it emotionally, relationally, and I believe that's how James applies it, but if you want to apply it literally, you could say, From whence come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your lust even of your desires, that war in your member. Ye lust, ye desire, and have not. That's a problem. Ye want something, and you don't have it. Ye kill and desire to have, but you cannot obtain. You don't have it. He says, this is the answer to the question. You say, why do we fight? We are fighting, and we fight because we are not getting what we want from the other person. But let me just say this. This is true even when you are right. Now, we're often not right. But even when you're right, even when you're noble, even when your cause is noble, this is still true. Even when you're justified and the other group is unjustified, even when you're right and the other person is wrong, this underlying truth is still true, that we fight because we're not getting what we want from the other person. So when somebody says, Yes, but they promised. They promised that they were going to, or they promised that they were not going to, and they broke that promise, and that's why I fight. Here's the thing. You may be right, but when we step from uh, confronting someone to contention, to hurting them, to trying to bite and devour them, you may be right, but at the end of the day, it's because of this. There's something you want that you're not getting. You say, well, they promised. They promised. So why are you mad? Because they promised. And you think they should what? Keep the promise that they made to who? To me. So you're mad because you're not getting what you want. Yeah, but they made a vow. They vowed on our marriage day that they would do X, Y, and Z. And they've broken that vow. And here's the thing. You may be right. And if you stood up here and you told your story and we heard your story, we would all side with you against the other person. But here's the point. You're upset. And just realize this. Just realize. From whence come wars and fightings among you. Even when we're right, the answer is this. Because there's something. Should they keep their vow? Of course they should keep their vow. But why are you mad? Why are you angry? Why are you trying to, 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 to hurt and devour them? Because they made a vow and they didn't keep the vow. And you think they should what? Keep the vow. That they made to who? To, to me. So you're mad, you're mad, because you're not getting what you want. Yeah, but I earned it. I actually worked for it. And they should have gave it to me, and they didn't. Right, and you may be justified. And if we heard your story, if we heard your story, we might side with you. But at the end of the day, you earned it, so you're mad because you're not getting what you earned. And you think what? That you should get what you earned. So you're upset because you're not getting what you want. Yeah, but they passed me over, and they didn't give me the credit. They didn't give me the recognition. I did all that work, and they acted like I did nothing. You may be justified. But you're upset. Why? Because they should give the recognition to the person it's due. And that person is who? Well, it's me. And you're upset because you did not get what? The recognition I just... So you're mad because you didn't get what you want? And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no matter how far you take it, No matter how far you're taking. Yes, but she was rude. Yes, but he was rude. And the things he said were mean. And I don't think they should treat people like that. Because they should treat people like what? With respect. And you think you deserve what? Respect. So you're mad because you're not getting what? What What you want. And here's all I'm telling you. Even when you're right... Even when you're right, even when you're justified, even if you stood up here with a mic and you told us your story and we would all side with you, we would all say, you're right and they're wrong. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, when we fight, James says, we fight because we are not getting what we want from the other person. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust? That war in your members, ye you lost and have not. That's the problem. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. That's the problem. Ye fight in war. And then I want you to notice there in James chapter 4, the last part of verse 2, he says this. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but go be a look at Proverbs, just real quickly. Proverbs chapter 13. And let me say this. Usually, usually in the midst of a conflict, what we tell people that we're conflicting about is not the real reason we're conflicting. Usually when we have an issue with someone or engaged in emotional warfare with someone and we say, well, I'm mad because they X, Y, and Z. That's usually whatever reason they're telling you. Just realize, I've learned this over the last nine years of counseling. Usually whatever people tell me, well, this is the reason. That's not the reason. There's a real reason that they don't want to tell you. And it may be true in their heart. But I want to feel accepted. But I want to feel respected. But I want to feel approved. But I want to feel, and though we might not say that out loud at the end of the day, and here's the thing, you say, well, pastor, are you calling us a liar? No, what I'm saying is the Bible is true. And if the Bible says that the answer to the question, from whence come wars and fightings among you, every day and twice on Sunday is from the lusts and desires that we have, then that's the truth. It's because of the desires and the things that we want. And, And here's the point, here's the point. The bottom line is this. When we step away from trying to do right in the life of someone else, by confronting them, and we turn to trying to hurt that individual, whether it's your husband or your wife, your small children or your adult children, your in-laws, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your co-worker, your fellow church member, whoever it is. When we turn to trying to hurt and injure other people, not through confrontation, but through contention, it is because of pride. Because there's something we deserve, we think we deserve, and we're not getting. And by the way, this is why the Bible says, Proverbs 13, are you there in verse 10? He says, only by pride, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. So when we're asking the question, why do we fight? When we're asking the question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? The first part of the answer is this. We fight because we're not getting what we want from the other person. And if you're not sure if that's true, just spend five minutes watching the kids after the service. And you'll know that it's true. That we fight. We fight. We engage in warfare because there's something we want that we're not getting. Now, here's what's interesting. And I think it's confusing and extremely interesting in the book of James. Go back to James chapter 4. Look at verse 1. James chapter four verse one. James, I love the book of James. James might be one of my favorite books in the New Testament. He deals with such so many different things and so many aspects. The way he words it, and of course we understand it's God and the Holy Spirit of God, and I understand that. But I, I love the wording by James. He, he says, "From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members?" He says, "Ye lust and have not; ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war." And then he says these words, and I want you to notice these words at the end of verse two. He says. Ye have not because ye ask not. Ye have not because ye ask not. Now go to Matthew chapter 7, just real quickly. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone agrees, everyone agrees that James chapter 4 and verse 2, the last phrase there, is having to do with prayer. Ye have not because ye ask not. I preached it as prayer. Every, t- every, every sermon I've ever heard out of James chapter 4, when someone gets to these words, yet ye have not because ye ask not, they always connect it back to prayer. And I believe that is the right connection. I believe that is what's being said there. In fact, we can verify that by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, where Jesus is teaching on prayer, sounds a lot like, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Matthew 7 and verse 7 says this, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Notice that prayer is asking. And the theme of prayer is that we should ask, we should seek, we should knock, we should try to get, because you say, why? Because everyone that asks receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then notice he continues on, and he continues with the same theme in verses 19 and 11. He says, or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask, notice, ask bread, he uh, will he give him a stone? Or if he, notice the word, ask a fish will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that, notice the word, ask him. So when we go back to James chapter 4 and verse 2, and we see these words, yet ye have not because ye ask not, we immediately connect that to prayer, and I believe that is a proper connection. What's confusing is, now, when you try to dissect James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and you really begin to dissect it and dig into the context, you realize that James has this incredible breakthrough in relational psychology. He is giving us a course in conflict management, and he is teaching us that the reason we fight, the reason we fight is because there is something we want that we are not getting. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members. Ye lust and have. Have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, and then it seems like he makes this abrupt gear change. And all of a sudden, we're into what he's saying, we're engaged with what he's teaching, he's teaching us about relational health. And then all of a sudden, he begins to talk about prayer. He says, You have not because you ask not. And it's kind of confusing because you think, well, James, you're talking to us about relationships. You're about to help me with my marriage. You're about to help me with my children. You're about to help me with my church life. You're about to help me in life in general. You're talking to us about relational health and conflict management and resolving conflict. And now all of a sudden you just kind of throw in this thought that has to do with prayer. He says, you have not, because he asked not. And it seems like, it seems like James is kind of rambling and not making any sense. But the point is this: when you look at the context clearly, it becomes clear what it is, uh, the point point that james is trying to make and the point is this because remember the context was this why do we fight we fight because there's something we want that we're not getting from the person we want and then james shifts gears and he says you have not because he asked not and here's the point that james is making the point that james is making is this that we fight because we're trying to get something from the wrong person See, there's something you... Do you want to know why you fight so much with your husband? Because there's something you want from your husband. You, you want to, and, and you may say it out loud and you may not, you want to feel loved by him and you want to feel like he honors you and you want to feel like he cherishes you and the things he does are not those things and you get mad at those things he does but if you really... Uh, you know, just kind of dissected that thing, you would realize that the reason that you're actually upset that he was late for dinner again is not because he was late for dinner again. Yeah, but he's trying that he would be on time for dinner. Yes, but what you're actually upset about is that when he tells you he'll be there for dinner at a certain time and he doesn't time and time and time and time again, it makes you feel devalued. And what you want is to feel valued by your husband. You're not getting what you want. Right? When they forget to recognize, you say, well, it's not right. They should make sure that they recognize. But see, the truth is, you want to feel the credit. You want to feel accepted. You want to feel appreciated. You want to feel respected. You want to feel loved. This is why we fight. We fight because there's something we want that we cannot get. But here's all I'm trying to tell you is that you can fight and fight and fight with your teenage kid about getting that from them. But you're asking them to give you something they can't give you. You're asking your wife to fulfill a need that she just can't fulfill. You're asking your pastor or your pastor's wife. You're asking your fellow church members. You're asking your boss or your employer. You're asking whoever it is that you're fighting with. You're asking them to fulfill something that at the end of the day, James tells us, only God can fulfill. He says, why do we fight? Because we want something that we can't get, but then James says this, James says, yes, but we're trying to get something that another person cannot even provide, because at the end of the day, my wife cannot provide assurance or acceptance, and she, and she tries, but she's a human being, I cannot provide security, I'll do the best I can to provide security for my wife and for my children, but at the end of the day, that security must come from God. Because we put these pressures on people that it is your job to make me happy. It is your job to make me feel fulfilled. It is your job to make me feel loved and respected. But James tells us, James tells us, this is why we fight. We lost and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. But you're asking the wrong person. He says, ye have not. Because ye ask not the right person. Why do we fight? Here's why we fight. Because we're not getting what we want from the other person. But why do we fight? Here's why we fight. Because we're trying to get something that the other person really is not equipped to provide. And here's the truth. And here's the truth. At the end of the day, we fight. You want to know why every war has ever been fought? Why every battle has ever been fought? You want to know why anyone has ever been divorced? You know why anyone has ever been estranged from their children? You want to know why any any relational churches, why churches have split? Any relational conflict, why has it happened? Here's why it's happened because there's something we want that we're not getting and we're trying to get it from someone that cannot give it to us. So why do we fight? Here's why. Because we're frustrated. And actually fighting ourselves. Notice what what James says. James chapter 4. Some of you should read the Bible. It's really interesting. Look at verse (laughs) 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come in not hence even of your lusts? Notice this phrase. Notice what he says. That war in your members. Here's the thing about the fight is that it's inside of you. See, we like to say, why are you fighting? Well, she took my toy, right? That's what your kids say. Well, he took my toy. Why are you fighting? Well, they did this, and she said that, and they treated me this way, and he promised, and they said they would, and they didn't, and he failed, and and the vow, and this, and here's the thing. We like to say that the fight is out there. We fight because of something out there, but James says, no, the truth is this. We fight because of something in here. He says that war is in your members. Go back. Go back to Galatians. Galatians 5. Remember we read verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. In Galatians 5:19, he talks. To us, he talks to us about the works of the flesh and how the flesh, the inward man, the things that result from walking in that flesh—not in the spirit, but in the flesh. In Galatians 5.19, he says this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here's what he's saying. We can see, we can manifest the works of the flesh. We can see you walking in the flesh when we see these things. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Notice these words, because we're talking about conflict here, right? Hatred, variance, emulations. He says wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying murders. Why do we murder? Why does anybody murder? I'm talking about physical, literal murder. Why? Because there's something we want we cannot get. And the only way we think it can be resolved is through murder. He says, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, and I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's what I want you to understand, and here's what I hope you will get. And I hope you will get is this that conflict, contention. I'm not talking about confrontation. Sometimes as a leader or as just a responsible, mature Christian, we must confront individuals with problems and that is the mature Christian thing to do if done with the right attitude, with the right spirit, for the right purpose, which is to uh, to establish or to protect or to develop a relationship. But when we cross the line to emotional warfare, we want to use our words to hurt and injure, to bite and devour, to destroy it. Why does that happen? It happens, according to James, because of what's in here. We war in our members. Last year, we were in the Philippines for the Philippines missions trip, and uh, we took a tour of an island there in the Philippines on one of the days we had off the Corregidor Island. And while we were there, the tour guide told us a story of a Japanese soldier who actually lived in the jungles there in the Philippine Islands uh, and continued to fight the war for decades after the war uh, had ended. And I thought it was an extremely interesting story. I'd like to read you just a little excerpt from uh, an article about this individual. It says this, Hiru Onanda was one of the last Japanese soldiers to stop fighting World War II 29 years after the Imperial Japanese Army surrendered to the Allies aboard the USS Missouri on September 2nd, 1945. He was assigned to protect a small island in the Philippines. When the American forces landed on the island, the Japanese forces there attempted to fight them and were quickly defeated. Seeing their impending defeat, Onanda located three fellow soldiers, Private Yuichi Akatsu, Corporal Shoichi Shimada, And Private First Class Kinchishi Kozuka and ordered them into the woods with him to engage in guerrilla war. Hiru Onanda carried on this guerrilla war for the next 29 years. He and his men survived on a diet of stolen rice Coconut and meat from castle slaughtered during farm uh, excuse, uh, uh from meat from cattle slaughtered during farm raids carried out when he was uh attacking nearby Philippines troops. In August of nineteen forty five, as the war between Japan and the US came to an end, Onanda noticed a lull in the fighting but did not suspect that his home nation had surrendered. So he continued with his private war, killing local farmers and even engaging in shootouts with the police when they were sent after him. By 1949, one of Onanda's men's, Private Yuichi Akatsu, had begun to realize that the war was over. He walked away from the rest of his unit and lived by himself for six months before surrendering to the Philippine army in March 1950. Akatsu's surrender let the rest of the world know about the Japanese holdout still on Lubang Island. The next two decades were tough for Hero uh were tough, excuse me, I lost my place here. The next two decades were tough for Hero Onanda. In 1954, he lost another of his compatriots when Corporal Shoichi Shimada was shot and killed by a Philippine search party looking for the men who were wanted criminals at this point. Then in 1972, his last ally, Private First Class Kenchichi Kozuka, was killed by police when the two of them were burning a village's rice silo. Onada was now alone, waging a one-man war against the Philippines government. At this point, after the return of Akatsu and the deaths of Shimada and Kozuka, the Japanese public was well aware of and in some ways enamored with the story of Hiro Onanda. One such Japanese national was Norio Suzuki, an adventurer who had traveled extensively. Norio Suzuki desired to meet Lieutenant Onanda. His wish came true when he uh, arrived in the Philippines and found Hiro Onanda in the jungle of Lubang Island. When Suzuki returned to Japan, he told the Japanese government of Onanda's conditions which were that he would only surrender if ordered by his commanding officer. The government then traced down Onanda's commanding officer, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, Who had since become a bookseller and flew him to Lubang. So on March 9th, 1974, at the age of 52, Hiro Onanda emerged from the jungles, still dressed in his tattered official uniform and with his service rifle and sword still in excellent shape, to accept the order from his commander telling him to lay down his arms. Even still, he was uncertain and prepared for a trap, but when ordered by his superior, he laid down his rifle. Five hundred rounds, his ceremonial sword and sword belt, as well as his dagger in his white case, and saluted the flag of his nation. He presented his sword to the president of the Philippines, Philistine, uh, of the Philippines, in an act of surrender, and was pardoned for his many crimes against the state. And, and I, I, when, when, we, they, when they told us the story, I, I thought it was extremely interesting. Go with me to Proverbs just real quickly. I thought it was extremely interesting that this guy would be out in a jungle. For 29 years after the war ended, still fighting this war all on his own. But though it's extremely interesting, what's funny is that in some ways it illustrates. And the reason I read the story to you is because really all war is just that. It's a war we fight all on our own. And emotionally, relationally... We might be in a jungle with a rifle and a sword, fighting a battle against an enemy that's just really not even there. Because the fight that we fight is in us. And this, by the way, is why the Bible teaches that contention does not have to do with situations, it has to do with the person. Notice Proverbs 16, verse 28. We'll, we'll finish here, a couple of verses in Proverbs. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. he says, a forward man, a forward man, meaning someone who's willfully contrary, a difficult person, someone who's trying to cause problems. A forward man, knows soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. See, here's what we think. We think, no, strife is sown because of situations around us. But God says, no, 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 the person brings strife around them. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 10. Cast out the scorner, Proverbs 22, verse 10. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. See, God doesn't tell us, here's how you resolve conflict, you solve the circumstances around the conflict. God says, no, no, because really the truth is this, there's never really a need to have contention. Now, there are many times when confrontation is needed. There are many times when a responsible, mature individual needs to confront someone else with a problem, whether it's your kids, whether it's your spouse, whether it's an employee. There are many times that confrontation is needed. But the Bible tells us that there's never a need for war and fighting and killing, uh, emotionally trying to hurt and destroy someone. There's never a need for that. And whenever that happens, it is not the circumstance's fault, but it is the person's fault because the person person is the source of the conflict. And that person is you and me. So when we ask the question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Why do we fight? Here's why. Because there's something we want that we're not getting from the other person. But here's what we don't understand is that we're trying to get something from someone that they simply cannot provide. So we warn our members. We get frustrated. And we're actually fighting ourselves. And here's all I'm telling you. you. say, Pastor, what do you want us to do with this? This is really just kind of a foundational sermon to help us get our bearing for the next several weeks as we learn how to bury the hatchet and live at peace with ourselves and others. But here's all I want you to realize. The next time you find yourself, and hopefully this isn't the case, but the next time you find yourself in a screaming match... <laughs> with your husband or your wife or your kids or your employee or your neighbor or your fellow church member, next time you find yourself in a heated contention, I'm not talking about a confrontation where we're trying to resolve something, but I'm just trying to hurt him and I'm just trying to hurt her and I'm just mad. The next time you find yourself in that, realize, realize that the source of this contention is me. Because there's something I'm not getting from this person that I want. But what I'm asking this person to give me, they can't provide. So, at the risk of overlaying too many metaphors, I would say it's time to bury that hatchet. Inspire Heaven and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the book of James. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, the truth is that this book could not have been written by a man. Only God has insight into mankind and humanity. In order whether we'd like to admit it or not, the truth is this, that what James said is true. When we ask the question, why do we fight? The answer is me. It's my lost and desires that I cannot obtain. I have not because I'm asking not the right person. And the fight is within me. And Lord, I pray that you would help this sermon, and I pray that you would help over the next several weeks to help us to learn to live at peace with ourselves and others, and Lord, help us to realize, help us to realize as husbands and wives and fathers and children, as we engage in a relational community called the Local New Testament Church, Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that the war is in us. And we might spiritually and emotionally be like a Japanese soldier fighting a war in a jungle all by themselves when no one else is fighting with them. Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand that. Help us to come to grips with it. And help us to do better. Father, I pray you'd give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.